G'day, my name is Chris Anderson and welcome to the Ando & Co podcast. Today I'm really excited to be sitting down with a mate of mine, Chris Gosling, who I met in Toronto uh, where he was actually guitar playing guitar and, and singing his original music on the rooftop of a, a mate's place who was going home to Australia. And uh, I've, I've been able to get to know him over the last couple of years and it's been great to, for, for, for me to learn a hell of a lot from him. And it's an awesome opportunity for me today to unpack some of that wisdom with Chris, go through some of his story and uh, hopefully be able to share it with you and have you enjoy it as well. So Chris, uh, mate, what can you tell us about yourself? Thanks for having me on, Chris. Um, well, I am a Canadian. Um, that's where we met. I I grew up being a creative person. I was a smart kid, and I liked I liked learning, but I liked art. And I had a teacher present uh, graphic design as a path for me in about grade eleven, and I I I took it and I went to school for it. And you know, twenty three years later, I'm a creative director. I'm a strategist for a living. I do I do. When I, the, my, my five second explanation is I do brand development and I do communication strategy for businesses. And I really help people tell their story better. And, you know, the, I feel like you tell someone's story better when you become an advocate for them and you really have to understand what they're, what they're, what they're doing or going through and wanting to present. And I, uh, I feel like it's probably one of the reasons why I also, you know, my creativity was also music focused. And so I, having those outlets, um, seeing something and needing a, a place to kind of put the narrative. And in some cases for me, it was, it was songs. And you're right at, at, uh, at your friend's thing and uh, playing songs. It's, it's me still, it was just communicating. Like I'm, I feel like I've had friends say, you know, you do a lot of different things, but when I boil it down, they're all just sort of permutations of a few things. Like everything for me is about understanding and then communicating what I understand in a way that other people can then understand, hopefully, and get something about it. Or at a minimum, meet other people to go, I, I get that too, and I, I feel that way. And then we, we feel less alone. Um, I don't know if that's a good introduction. Uh, uh, so I, 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 so I, I, I do marketing for a living. I, um, I spent the better part of 15 years living in Toronto and at the uh, 2019, it had been a long time since I'd, you know, I'd been working remote with clients sort of all over the place for quite a while. And my partner and I were getting married and, you know, we were looking at moving apartments. And as you know, as a real estate guy, you know that real estate got a little nuts in Toronto there. And I had been in the same place for 10 years and then we go to look at a two bedroom and it was just, it's uh, the return on investment wasn't there anymore for a renter. And we were not in a position to, to buy. And we also have a lot of interests. I'm an outdoorsman. Um, I put this beard to full use and we, uh, I've been a canoer for a long time. So, so my partner, Laura and I, we would spend a lot of time outdoors. And so the idea of, of getting out of the city, um, and because we were both doing remote work was a thing. And 2019, we get married. We uh, we find in the process of 
of getting married. We find like, we find some land uh, and decide to go for it. And mm. we move from a one bedroom apartment on a like a main floor of an old house in Little Italy, in Toronto, to like a sixty-six acre property in um, in Eastern Ontario. And it's 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 interesting. Like you know, our nothing changed work-wise in so much as our clients were we were already doing video calls or occasional meetings with clients. Um, and, you know, six months into moving, um, the pandemic hit. And the whole world, we watched the whole world shift to this work from home, not the whole world, obviously, a lot of things still had to get made places. But we saw a lot of, you know, back office and marketing support and all that stuff move to work from home. We watched a lot of people really try to get into that groove. And it was something that I've been doing for a long time that way, uh, that work from home. And so I feel like it was interesting to watch, you know, client potential around us normalize this. Mm. And all of a sudden, you know, at, at we've moved into a, I'd like to, I hope it's a bit of an endemic state right now. Things, things seem kind of like we've, we've got to a good sort of normalized place with, with the pandemic. And now, now we're just doing our jobs in the woods. And it's the differences is we, we got out of the city at an interesting time. And um, yeah. Absolutely. And I remember probably in 2016, you said to me something along the lines of, hey, Chris, do you know how to go about finding a parcel of land in the country or something along the lines? Like, do you know how to get in touch with... <clears throat> government or local councils to be able to find this place and I think the question you also asked was could I put a yurt on this or something along those lines like could I just live on a parcel of land as simply as possible if I were to find that parcel so it wasn't like it just happened in 2019 that you just no absolutely yeah. so for for a better part of three years we were looking for uh, vacant land we learned we were yeah. like this is interesting this idea of a piece of unbroken land um and in the process, we learned that it's really tough to buy vacant land in Ontario right now. It, uh, and I understand why it would be set that way. They really are, are pro, if someone's having land, they want it developed and, and all these things. So you kind of have to, you've got to put half, half whatever the cost of land is down on the piece. And the other half is really hard to finance by traditional banks. So it's, it's, a, it's a risky investment unless you're super liquid and and then you got to build after that and we uh we had put an offer on, on something that wasn't the right fit and we didn't get the place and we thought we didn't get the, the track of land and then uh and then we turned sort of took a pause on that and focused on the wedding for a bit and then after coming back from a bit of a trip prior to getting married we uh, like laura found this piece because we wanted to be on a bit of water and it just sort of worked out it just happened to be you know, three hours away from anyone we knew, mm. which was a, which was a big thing. Um, because I very much, as you know, I built a big community in Toronto. I, I've been running a charity for a long time and I had a band that was regularly playing there and we're and running and running a business and you build a, you build a community like where you are in, uh, in Brisbane, you, you start to know your neighbors and it's very easy. I was a, you know, five, six mornings a week, having an espresso, watching the sun come up over college, writing my day's plans in my, my notebook, ready to get my day going. And now it's like, 
I get to do that sort of outside on the back porch of my little cabin uh, that's behind the house, but it's different. Um, it's, but it's, it's, uh, the compromise feels worth it. Mm. And I think um, just to even think through the numbers, I know I've had a, a bit of a look at the Toronto market since I've left and, and I shared some of those numbers with you. Effectively, you've bought a house and 66 acres for not much more than the median price of a condo in Toronto. But, it, you know, there's, there's nothing turnkey about this. And it's, I think that any, you know, I feel like anyone looking to, anyone looking to take a path less traveled, which to be frank, that's sort of the way we, we looked at this, is it comes with a, with a bit of bushwhacking. You got to, yeah. there's going to be, it, it's not all going to be sorted out. Like if it's all sorted out and there's pavers down, sure enough, you're going to pay a bit more for it because someone's done a lot of, a lot of legwork. And speaking of legwork, the, what, the woodwork in behind you, did you make that? I know you've made a yes. lot of things on the property. Um, yeah, we did all the, this is covering up the, the washer and dryer. And then there's a big shelf above it. And I've got all of my beer making stuff on that shelf just to use the space. Well, um, yeah, we moved into a bit of a finisher upper. And so we had to put all this in and, uh, all the framing inside of it is, is two by threes that were originally two by sixes that were originally, um, roof rafters in a building that was housing animals, but they were good boards. And we got into that crazy spike of lumber prices and you get pretty like, you know, frugal or inventive with how you do things. Like there's nothing load bearing about these walls. They just, they didn't need to be two by fours. They're two by threes. Mm. Um, so it's, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So we've done a lot, we've done a lot uh, with this place and a lot of, a lot of work ourselves. Um, and one of the things that I haven't mentioned yet is, that really, if I've got something creative that I'm working on or something that I'm wanting to do, you're generally the first port of call because I know if I haven't thought through something yet, you'll find all the holes and be like, ask me some better questions to be like, so what's the overall goal of this? How is it that you're actually trying to express this? Is that really the right medium? For you, like I, I've known this since I've met you and you you know how to unpack things creatively. And I, I think one of the things that I know that you've been working on ever since mm -hmm. I've known you, and I think it's helped me do the same is you really have a great process for asking amazing questions to make sure that you get everything out of a project or a person. Is that, that's, is that one of the, the key things that I don't know you've focused on? And, and, and when you, when you sort of think about answering that question, I also wonder what are some of the key questions you've been asking yourself to be able to set your life up the way that you've set it up now? So that's a good question. Um, I, I discovered that asking better questions was sort of like finding hidden doors in a room or books that you didn't see before kind of thing, because often someone presents information in a very selfish way. They just tell, tell it like they tell it like they see it. They're like, here's the situation. Boom. And if you don't bother going, you know, if you just ask them to repeat themselves, it's not, you're not getting more information. So if you have an opportunity to go, okay, I may get this person's attention for one, one question. I need to paint as much of the picture that isn't here right now. 
And so for me, like from a career point of view, that sort of started with my early jobs as a graphic designer, you get handed work and you go, well, who came up with this? Why, why is, you know, why did they come up with it? This is a terrible idea. And I realized I wasn't asking the right question necessarily. The right question was, what is the process of this industry? Where am I upstream and downstream of? And how do I get to that, that like call it that 70,000 foot view and I can see a bit more of the process and how far back do I want to go into the, the, the genesis of, of this thing I'm being part of? And so I, I started asking better questions sort of early on in that way and it led my career to, to, to getting to ask better questions for a job. Like I, I get, it's amazing. I, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I get to do that. And so to, to answer your other question, the way I sort of go about it is if you come to me and you come to me very regularly with see, these, these brilliant, sometimes they're very like thought out solid crystals of ideas. And other times it's just like a whisper of a thought, but they're, they're in, as far as I'm concerned, they're incredibly, they're fragile because I know that ideas break down. I've got more, I've, I've written more half songs than I've written full songs. Uh, I could double the amount just in things I haven't completed in terms of ideas and, and stuff. So when someone comes to me with an idea, I treat it as a very, this is a fragile thing that I can't step on. I, I Not like I, in a negative way, but more of a, it's very easy. When you tell someone an idea, often they respond with their idea. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Well, here's what I would do. And it's, 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 it's not the way that if you're actually someone who's, who's helping kind of facilitate an idea getting some legs, I try to fragilely walk around it and go, okay, what is this thing that Chris is presenting? You know, what is the, what does it mean um, before I ask him any questions? If just so I can really analyze it and go, do I have any sense of the shape of what he's talking about? And why is he taking this on? Um, and then I try to formulate a few good questions because you only really get in a few. And so often I start with some real like, real primary ones tied to the like what's fueling this desire to do this thing and you know what does a year from now look like after doing it actively not necessarily successfully but actively mm -hmm. let's assume that it requires at least a, a year of sticking with something um and i i love to understand what's your answer to that and if you have one immediately or if it's a that's interesting i hadn't thought about that because then it, it helps understand often I feel like we get off a call and you've, you've realized whether or not something was uh, half-baked or fully baked yet, because you're like, oh, wow, Chris, he didn't actually poke holes in it. He actually said, hey, these are separate. These are three ideas here. Mm -hmm. And you need to sort of pick, you know, stick to some knitting specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I try to come about it without, without bringing any ideas to the table until we're at a point where we've exhausted everything We've supported everything you brought to the table first. Mm -hmm. And then I'm, I tend to be like, Hey, I had a thought on this. Is there room to share it? Because I also think it's really important if you want to be a, if you want to be someone that people trust to, to, I feel fortunate that you reach out to me and ask these questions. So for me to get, to keep getting that, I also need to make sure that the experience is, is, is good for you. And you don't feel like you just get hammered with a different idea every time. I think the the other thing in in sort of working through some of the ideas that I'll come up with, I think the 
obviously someone like Gary Vaynerchuk is popular on social media and he's great at just coming up with a thought, saying it, moving on to the next thing, answering a question very quickly. And I think that when we first went for coffee in Toronto, I believe we went to the slow room Mm -hmm. in Toronto. And I'm fairly sure that that sort of stuck with me as to that's almost like Chris's process. Like he can be very quick with things, think really quickly. But at the same time, I know like the first ever thing that I did with you, you were like, Chris, you you can't just get on to a video and just say something you just made up. Let's actually do this properly and write the script. So it was like, oh, so I'm actually going to put time into making this spot on. It's not just a half-baked thing. Let's actually do this properly. And then, like, oh, well, the, and then the added benefit of having a script is then that you've got that script that you can put on YouTube as, as part of that process, kind of, that, you can, that you can have that in part of the description. And I think the, for really everything that I speak to you about, you, as you said earlier, it's like, how do I, how do I bait, break this down into the best possible process to create the best possible end result to make sure that everything has been thought through. And I think like with the way that I'm sure that you put the wood into that wall, there's a process of which logs go in first and like everything. I think the way that you do things is like, let's just step back a little bit and just make sure we're doing this right. So is that, is that something that you actively think about? Is that you, are you always feel like you're always optimizing? Um, not necessarily trying to always optimize. I think that, I think that if you're always optimizing, you're you're not actually giving yourself time to analyze and watch how you do things and get better at stuff. Cause Mm -hmm. there's something, something to be said for taking on, taking on a, a very simple task and, and mastering it to some degree, um, just getting good at it to some degree beyond the. And not not, the, not necessarily the 10,000 hours thing. I think the 10,000 hours thing is a wonderful way of looking at a, a large, like a, a, a craft. But I'm talking about even, even okay, so take the wood behind me as a great example, a real simple one. I, we built the space and I wasn't sure how we were going to use it other than I knew that it needed to be a certain depth because of the, you know, we, we sort of fit logs that are 16 to 18 inches in our fire. And so I chainsaw them around 16 to 18 inches. And so it needed to be d- deep enough to hold it. But I wasn't sure what was going to go on the top or the bottom because there's there's a top and a bottom space here. And I, I'm like, I'm just going to throw things in there and I'm going to spend the next, the whole season observing how I use it from a third party. Just use it naturally without a whole lot of plan other than the wood goes there. And it, by the end of the season, I, I it shook down a bunch of good concepts that I then will bring into this year. This is a mess right now. I've pulled all the stuff that should be on the bottom up to the top because I needed to access the, the water for the washer and dryer. But I realized over by basically by the end of the year that on the bottom, I can keep all the big logs. And then over the next two weeks, I'm going to make a, this whole thing will be full of kindling, like small kindling. And that will be like head to toe kindling. And that, that sets future Chris up for success. And that's about as, 
that's about as planned as I get with that. But it took me a, a, a giving myself a year of just doing it, however it happened, and then observing, like sort of having a, a postmortem at the end and go, okay, how did I feel about that? Well, what would I do different with with what I've learned this year? Does is, that does that answer your question a bit? Yeah, I, I guess the the next thing I wonder is whether you really do a lot of this thinking in your head or whether you're talking out loud with other people about some of these things. I, I will talk to my partner, Laura, about it sometimes. Yep. Um, I feel like because a lot of my friend group is still in the cities, um, people I, that come visit, they ask, they have, they find it interesting. They're like, why, why there? Why does that go there? And you should have an answer for it or a real honest I don't know, because that's where the space was kind of thing. And often, often I've probably thought it through. Like I, it's free to think it through. It's amazing. Like you, we don't, we don't realize the power of, of the measure twice cut once philosophy. If you really break it down, like you could, you could literally like we don't, for whatever reason, we there's a we get an ego about ourselves. Um, our ego lets us gets us out of survival. It gets us out of its survival mode, kind of thing. Ego is really important, but then you get to a place where you're not needing to access it, and then we still rely rely on it, and it comes out in from of how hard could it be? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, how hard could that be? I've you know, and I've I've learned. Um, a few years ago, I realized that I shifted my thinking into my life is a, not an experiment, but I'm in a state of change. I'm, I'm, everything is a, is a learning experience. Everything's an experiment. Me, us going, my, my partner and I going into finishing the bathroom. I've done a whole bunch of the things that were, that make up that bathroom. I've done it before, but the dangerous thing I could have done would, would have been how hard could it be? We approach it from the point of view of there's a lot of moving parts. Let's approach this as if we've not done this before and break it down into things and go, how do you really feel about your knowledge base behind this? And does it really kill you to, to read for 45 minutes the night before you're going to do the work on just a, a few other things that someone else learned? And it honestly, like, you know, we put down 3000 pounds of concrete ourselves to raise our floor by two and a quarter inches. I've only ever done concrete posts up to that point. So 3000 pounds of concrete is a ton of concrete to put it down um, or a lot. It's not really a ton. Um, and I, I cross read four or five things, watch some extra videos because I'm like, for me to go into this with any ego is crazy because I, I have literally one shot at this. If we put it in wrong, we're really, we're, we're properly, you know, messed up. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. And I, I feel like I watch a lot of videos. Like I said, I, this weekend I took down a, a, a 40 foot tree that was 18 inches across. I had to drop. And I've read a lot about felling trees. I've watched a lot of videos and I've, I've asked questions of not just, okay, here are the six kinds of cuts on a tree, but you have to ask the question, why is it being cut that way? Mm. Why, why are they doing it so that the thing, because if you don't, if you just go, okay, well, here's the, here's the six dance moves, trust the, trust the ritual or the steps, it's dangerous. 
And so asking more questions and being like, well, why does it need to be that temperature or why does it need to be this way? Um, it'll, it makes it so that you can really take on a lot of interesting hobbies or, or skills um, with a bit of success because you kind of go into it being like, I probably don't, I don't know how to do this at all. And I, I'm a, I really want to learn. I think the interesting thing is I, I know what it feels like to think through a lot of things and read a lot of books and then never do the things that I said that I was going to do. Like for years, I said I was going to have a podcast. I just didn't do it. And for you, I feel like there's been so many things that you've stepped into that at some point you were kind of like, oh, I'm maybe I'm not a professional songwriter, but I'm going to write some songs. You know, like maybe I'm maybe I'm not a guitarist. Maybe I'm not a gun on the keyboard, but I'm going to learn how to do this. And then I think the interesting thing is for you, once you've gone through that learning process, you're like you're willing to perform. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what's that's what's interesting for me. That's that's I appreciate that. Um, I think because like music for music for me is a great one in that I took it up at thirteen and was was gigging. We we're doing doing shows around sixteen, mm. and then it didn't took till about twenty one or twenty two before we were really getting paid to, to do shows in Toronto and such, and then. And then I, I was, you know, performing as a semi, as a, as a pretty low, low key professional musician, or at least getting paid to play gigs in Toronto um, for a long time. And I think that putting it on a stage, whether you're getting paid for it or not, and actually, and, and showing proof of concept and showing proof of, of, uh, of understanding, it's an important step. Um, and completing things is an important step. Asking questions is important. So I wanted to go back to something you had said about um, you reading a bunch of things and then not kind of seeing them through. One of the questions that I've found that I've started asking myself, because I've done a lot of that as well, Chris, mm -hmm. is I've started asking the question, why are you wanting to take this project on to myself? Mm -hmm. I take pause versus a, what, how, what's this, what, you know, what, what does success look like and all these things. I pull back a step and ask a question from an outside point of view of why are you wanting to do this right now on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or whatever the deal is, what's driving you, what's really driving you to want to do this? Is it, is it that what you were doing before is feeling a little boring and you're just wanting to do something interesting that's different? Like, are you, is this simply a, 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 like a, a, a contrast to what your brain was doing before? And if that's the case, you know, then read indulgently with no stress about it turning into a thing. Mm. And, you know, and this is how I, how I, I process it for myself. Cause I've done a lot of things where I'm like, I may not take on this craft, but I'm really enjoying just like reading about it for a little while, just cause I'm enjoying it, but I may not, you know, take it all the way to it, to try to get, you know, paid for it or, or to a point where I'm like, I feel like I'm skilled at it. Um, so that's been interesting because it's, open up other questions where I'm like, oh, well, I'm actually just finding the work that I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not finding that interesting. Okay. Well maybe fix that first, like not to, to, to diminish the desire to read and do a new thing, but sometimes that's a symptom of, of needing to fix the things that are already on your plate, like mm. make, make them work well. Mm. Um, and it, it happens innocuously. It comes in the form of, we have many interests, but 
it's not an honest, um, you know, use of uh, and taking on a new interest. Often it's a it's a distraction tool because mm-hmm. our, our for me it's a because I I'm like I'll like all of a sudden all of a sudden I'm I'm in the garage working on something and I'm like well wait a minute I was just doing our bookkeeping I need to get back to that <laughs> and so there's a there's a lot of that that I think questions are a wonderful way of getting yourself back on track as well um and then one thing um I remember seeing the video that you pulled together for the food bank that you ran in Toronto and you've told me a little bit about the experience of running that, but can you just walk us through what that was like and and what you learned from it? So absolutely. So there's an interesting, that's actually, it's interesting. That video is a good example for me of, of getting better at asking better questions. So 2008, I, um 2008 my mom passed and i was inspired that year to 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 collect all the the change and cash like the change that i that i'd been i would kind of throw it into a jar out of my pockets over the course of the year and normally i'd use it to buy like christmas presents and such and i decided to uh decided to, 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 you know, see if I could collect a bunch of other change with some friends and then, and then uh, change that into groceries and then bring it to a local food bank because I have read an article because I can just enjoying reading and, and, and such read an article about the challenges in Toronto for people. There's just people working two, three jobs and still needing to use the food banks because of, you know, the expense of the, of the city. And as someone who was just sort of sorting out a bunch of dietary things myself, I'm like, well, maybe this is an opportunity to kind of get some better quality food with having no experience in the food bank system at all. Um, let's get good food to, the, to this food bank that I used to walk past every day. So we did that. And then, you know, uh, the next year I had an opportunity to get involved with a program that was already running and they were doing a dinner and a food bank program and then, you know, fast forward, I, I, I managed it, uh, the, at least the food bank portion of it for about 11 years. But, you know, in my, in my first year, I went, you know, just really, really excited business, Chris brain. I'm like, we're going to do this and we're going to scale it. And it's going to be this, um, we're going to, we're going to solve hunger in Toronto. And, and then I got there and it required really kind of checking myself a bunch and realizing how how a tuesday night was going to work and and what how how you can how you can help in the matter of like a handful of hours on an evening once a week for half a year and you know i tempered my 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 need to industrialize the whole thing and i figured out how to i my one so I, i worked in a grocery store in high school and so i just turned my grocery store brain on and I'm like, okay, well, a good grocery store experience, because it was a, a food bank people utilized and walked through and, and got things. I'm like, it's got to be a nice experience. And what would that experience be? And so we really evolved it that way. When I, when, when I first started, I, I had really no idea the kind of uh, food needed in a food bank. And then I thought that I was going to be able to do a lot in terms of like, you know, helping as a communicator, I'm going to like help find ways of marketing information and such. And, 
it, I really, by, by kind of the, the, the end of the second year, I said, I need to pause for a couple years and, and just run this thing and stop trying to like be an expert on it and just get good at, 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 at taking care of, of this thing that you've taken on. And I just stuck in, I got stuck into it for, for a while and it took a handful of years of just being there and doing doing good work and observing how the questions that people would ask who would come in and volunteer for just the evening. And, 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 and I, I eventually got to a place where I realized, I think that the, there's a gap in the, I don't think people understand the best way to be supportive in terms of donating food and supplies to a food bank. And it's not that they don't have great interests or great, like, uh, you know, their, their intentions are great, but if you don't know, you don't know. And so I said, I think I have an opportunity to make a video that explains in a nice way. Here's the best way of thinking about if you're going to, if you're, if you're not going to donate money and you want to donate stuff, food, uh, you know, here's, here's the best way of thinking about it so that the food bank that you're working with can use it in the, in the, in the best way. But it took me years of, of just like checking myself a bit and being like, you know, just, just do the work and, and observe what happens. Um, and it was very interesting. I wrote an article on LinkedIn probably around the same time about, you know, how it's not solving hunger, it's serving soup or serving handing out carrots. And I, I went into it thinking one thing and I, I realized that it's actually a, it, it breaks down into a much simpler, a simpler thing. And there's a lot of, you can find a lot of joy in it in expectation management. Expectation management is probably one of the biggest challenges that we have in interpersonal relationships. And often because we don't want to ask tough questions because we don't want tough answers sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's, uh, and it's even harder when you're asking the tough questions of yourself, because there's no one there to call you on BS. Mm. You have to really dig deep and go, well, why are you really distracted from this? Is it that you don't understand this thing that you were doing before? And, and you just don't want to reach out to someone and say, Hey, can you give me a hand in helping understand this? Uh, whatever it is, like often, like, but I do feel that it's uh, that, yeah, asking questions is a very powerful tool. Have you gone from uh, living in Toronto, being interested in working with the community to living in a more remote area um, and still being able to have an impact in that community? So when we, when we moved, um, we passed off the reins of the food bank to the people that were still there. And we like, we knew we were moving. So we were able to give them lots of time and, and support the transition. And then when we got here um, and then the pandemic kicked in, I took a couple of years just to sort of, just to chill out for a bit. I, I uh, because we had, we had moved so far from Toronto, I didn't know this area. And so me just, just going guns blazing, um, we're just going in there, uh, you know, it would be me, all of a sudden back in being 2008 Chris again yeah and just running around and so I I I just I just took a pause and really needed to work on the property anyway which was sort of important to do and you know 
two and a half years in, we we saw a post on on Facebook for you know from a on the, through the community thing that this area uh, had an economic development coalition that needed a volunteer steering committee, a, a group pulled together of of you know business professionals that you know would be able to represent various industries, and it was a two year term and it's a volunteer position, um, and when that came up, it it um, it, it it made a lot of sense because I found that one of the things that I really wanted to be able to do when I first got into volunteering and doing community work was I like the systemic side of things to some degree. I like to understand, is there any way that we can move the needle in a big way? Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy the, the, the actually making sure that we have fresh produce at a, at a thing. Um, that was a wonderful experience and being part of that. But I was always being like, well, how do we fix this? Or how do I, how do I help it at a higher at a, at a different level? And so this came up, and I'm like, okay, well, this is not this isn't necessarily working with the food bank specifically, but it's uh, it's helping it's helping the area that I've moved to, and it's volunteering, and it gives me a chance to to do maybe some of this systemic the higher level and and use these these questions that I like asking in a in a bigger way. So, you know, it's been it's been a bunch of Zoom calls so far. Um, but things are, you know, things are starting to, to get more in person, which is exciting. And I think that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm needing to, uh, to evolve how I, uh, like how I volunteer. And that's, that's been interesting because I feel like I'm enjoying helping at this, this, this different level. And I know that there will still be opportunities to get involved in some of the food specific programs in the area that we are in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, uh, it's nice to go, okay, well, is there a way of just shifting a bit to a different area and seeing if I can help in a different way? Awesome. And you've had a long experience of helping people with their marketing. If someone's just sort of starting out in a business or they've had a business up and running for a while and they've, they've just sort of been doing it all themselves, what are some of the first key questions that people need to consider when they're trying to get their marketing right? I would say, why are you needing marketing in the first place? Right? Like if, if you're, it's a hot day and you're outside and you've got ice cold glasses of lemonade, you don't need a lot of marketing. You need awareness. People just need to know where your lemonade is available, but you don't need to sell people on lemonade. And, and I think that that's one of those fortunate situations that most businesses don't actually live in. And they, they do have a lot of things that they, they need to teach people or educate people on so that they have enough information to make a decision that would impact their product or service that they're offering. So, I think that if you've if you've been doing if you've been on your own for a while if you've you've not you've been doing all of your marketing yourself you've it's all been word of mouth or you've been doing some your attempts at Facebook and or you've gotten good at all all of that and you're going okay well now I'm looking at actually wanting to hire a marketing professional the first thing I'd I'd say to anyone is before you talk to anyone document a bit of your observations of how your specific industry like how has it worked so far for you? And with some like, write it down. 
explain what you've done, explain, know your sales process. Know, you should, you should know that, you know, from, from awareness to it's in their house, the money's been transferred, whatever the deal is, the deal is, how long is that? Is it 45 days? Is it 45 minutes? Is it two years? Um, if the more you know, because you've been at, you've been at it for hopefully you've been at it for a while. And if you if you're, let's assume that you've been doing it for a while because if you, yeah, let's start there. Actually, you so you've been on it, you're doing it for yourself for a while. You're gonna bring a marketing professional in like myself, and the first thing I'm gonna I'm gonna do is is ask you a bunch of questions. And if you've you know the more that that you've been able to observe, uh, it like gets us moving faster because you're like. Hey, here's the thing I realized, like, I realized that, that Wednesdays, I really have a hard time getting hold of clients, um, because of whatever, like, and then it's like, okay, well, that's a fascinating ob like observation that I may not have been able to find in the research that I do on your behalf. Mm -hmm. So providing a, a, you know, as much nuance as possible is, is really important. That all being said, um, it's also really important to understand the concept of edge cases. And sometimes our, our experience is, is, is not necessarily the, the norm. So there's a bit of needing to, um, to assume that the marketing professional that you're working with has worked with enough clients that they're going to try to help you get away from your edge experience, or they're going to help find a way of going, okay, well, based on what you've told me and based on our research, here's here's what i think that we need to educate people on so that we can convert them into a customer mm. um if you're going out like yeah i mean i'm going to assume that anyone kind of going on their own is is either coming from doing it on behalf of a larger company for a long period of time or they're they've been doing it on their own for a while and they're just like, okay, well now I've, I've, uh, I have enough income coming in that I can actually outsource this work and I'd, I need to amp it up. And like, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question there, Chris. No, that's all right. I think, uh, I think the, the big thing is one of the things you mentioned is essentially people finding out about you potentially educating and then getting to a point where they're buying. And then obviously that person needing to have unpacked some of what's been going on for them to know where the holes are almost. So they can come in and say, this is what I'm getting so far. I just, what, what more can you do kind of thing? But I guess if you were to think about, I don't know if you could share maybe a scenario of some, something that you did for someone um, where you are able to essentially understand the current situation educate or um, move the target market into to learning more or, or potentially checking out the, the company and then being able to achieve some success. Is there, is there maybe a story that, that pops up that it was really clear that you were able to help? I mean, I would say, um, you know, one of my clients, I, I, I one of my clients in the software space, mm -hmm. in the healthcare software space, was you know SaaS um, 
product, doing their marketing for quite a while. Um, and I found that they're in, in, I found that it's amazing talking with salespeople. Often salespeople, no one talks to salespeople. Mm. They think salespeople do all the talking and you're a sales guy. Yeah. And you'll appreciate it. I'm, I'm the son of a sales guy as well. And no one asks salespeople hard questions or big questions because you, 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 you witness things that sometimes you don't even realize. And so when, when someone says, have you, do you, how long do you spend with the client talking about stuff before getting into it, before getting into the work stuff? And you're like, well, actually it's about 15 minutes. Every time we meet with them, we need to have a bit of like small talk. Mm. Um, so this one client of mine, they were, I thought we were doing, I thought I was doing good work for them. I was, they were, we were explaining how all the software worked and everything. And it wasn't until I was, I was asking one of the, one of the salespeople, I'm like, what's one of the biggest misconceptions that people ask you? Cause I had never asked that question. I was like, well, what, are, what like, what does someone ask you where you're like, well, you've got completely that wrong. And they were, they said, people think that we do the, we do the service, but we actually just sell the software and you do the service on your own. It's like software that you then utilize. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're wasting a lot of our time answering questions for like, no, 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 you use the software yourself. We sell the software. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful insight. Um, understanding where the friction was coming from, because often it's, it's, you know, we think about gaps as filling in empty space with something that they didn't understand before. And we don't necessarily start from a place of people have a complete misconception on this and our work is going to be about unpacking that wrong information first and then putting the right information in. It's mm. double the work. Mm. And, and so asking some of those questions where I was like, well, what kind of what kind of things are people asking where they're totally off base? And so we started going through that list and that's how we started approaching our marketing. And we, we hit it like right at the pass. This product is software. Boom. We, we use that language and, and, and we got into it and it cleared things up very quickly in terms of conversations. Um, and we just hadn't, we hadn't thought before that that was going to be something that people weren't understanding. Mm. Um, and I feel like those are the, for me, those are the big wins where you, you can like, those are the Eureka moments where all of a sudden it's like, we hadn't thought about, about doing it this way. Um, I had another client that they had a lot of sales material and they were a, a, in the pharmaceutical world. And, you know, I, we were, we were hired to do all this material and we're building it. And, and one of the days I was like, how's the, how is the, is the material being used? Well, like, how is it going? Like we said, we didn't, weren't getting a lot of feedback. You'd think you'd get a lot of feedback from clients and often you have no idea if they are happy with it or not, they just kind of move on and, and use it. And, and so they said, well, we actually, they're just, the pieces are really, really long. These are like 30, 40 page PowerPoint presentations. And it's not, that's not how we, we work with the clients. And so it's, we're not really using them. We're kind of just doing off the cuff. <laughs> and so then we ended up, I was like, well, I reached out to the higher up people and I said, can we interview a bunch of the salespeople across the country? And so we, we interviewed, like a, a whole bunch of people, you know, ask them eight or nine questions. And what we got out of it at the end of it all was that the salespeople really were only getting about like 10 minutes with a, with a, with, with, with a client. 
And, and the first five minutes, if the, if the first five minutes weren't really about how they were doing and how their family was doing, they weren't really going to get that other five minutes afterwards. Mm-hmm. So what they needed was a five minute read length piece. And they were like, we meet with them probably once a year. So we just revamped everything. We're like, let's do a dozen five minute uh, pieces, but then mm-hmm. let's also do a bunch of two minute pieces and then a bunch of 10 minute like leave behinds. Mm-hmm. And we changed the way that we, we even explained things for the salespeople. I'm like, everything was based on read length. And it was, it was because we asked some better questions um, and then we're able to, to, to change it. And so then the material got utilized. So that was a, it was successful in that way. Yeah, it's interesting. I think when you when you come in as a consultant, and it's been a while since I've been a consultant, you you get a chance to see that business with fresh eyes. And so the people who might have been in the marketing function or the people who were running that business, they're just like, oh, we're doing things this way because this is how we've always done things. It's just how it's done. Do you know? So when someone comes in, be like, oh, well, is it working? Like, how how is it we're actually looking to push the needle here? And like, can I, can I, can I break this? Like, is it okay if I break this? <laughs> and you learn very quickly if a client is ready for you to rock the boat or not. And I have, I've gone, I've gone to loggerheads with clients where I'm like, I'm the wrong fit here. You guys are so off the mark and you're, you're delusional where marketing is not going to fix it kind of thing. It's, it, there needs to be like a, everyone needs to get on the same page kind of thing first. And so it's, uh, yeah. Um, it's very interesting being in a role where you're there to help explain what a company does because you then have to, you then learn if the people who work there really know what they do for a living. And it's, it's amazing, um, you know, that process. Um, We've spoken a lot about work and a lot about pursuits. One of the things that I'm interested in and we've spoken a little bit about before is what you do with your moments of downtime to basically make sure that you come back refreshed and relaxed and, and ready to work again. Can you run me through sort of some of the processes that you used to have when you're in Toronto and how they may have changed now that you're out in the country? Um, well, I so said one of the things that sticks for me is if I'm taking a, if I'm taking a day off or a couple days off, like I've been taking off Saturday and Sunday pretty regularly for the last, um, handful of years. And I go into it by, by making sure my list on Friday at six or five or whatever my day's wrapping up, that my to-do list is tight and it's ready for Monday and it's off my head. It's in, it's in a book, it's in, a, in my computer, wherever, wherever I'm putting it. And I, I really try to commit to that, to be able to, uh, to be able to shut down for the, for the weekend and know that I've not left anything running that, I, that I left, not, not, not left anything, you know, um, that could fall through the cracks by Monday. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a lot of confidence to shut my computer down for the full weekend and, and then just get into it. Now, I found that I can do the same thing in the evenings where I can, let's say my day happens to wrap at four o'clock because it's just client work's done and you know, it's quiet, it's quiet. I will still go through the process of making sure that that list is like, everything's out of my head for tomorrow or the next couple of days. And if I need to, if I need to write, 
I know that there's stuff for the next few days, I will put them down if I need to do that. On one page, do it in pencil, I can erase it for the next day if I need to. If I have my list ready for the day, if I know on a, on a Tuesday what I have to do for the day because I wrote it on Monday evening, when I get up at 6 a.m. On a, on a Tuesday morning, I know that I have until eight o'clock to just, just like make a coffee and read anything I want to. If I just mm -hmm. want to, to, if I, if I, we've got a handful of projects going on on the property where like we're growing 50 or 60 different vegetables and fruit. There's a, there's always something that I need to learn about for something that we're doing that week. And I find that if I give myself permission in the morning to, to do that, when, when eight o'clock hits, I can get into my work day and know that I've done something for myself already for the day. Mm -hmm. And I can really commit to my work and I can just like get in, just really give into it and be like, all right, I'm here for my clients until the end of the day. And then I can like shut down for the end of the day and make the list for tomorrow. If, if, if it hasn't already been built over the course of the day and then take advantage of if it's nice outside and get outside and, and do things. But I know that I have to trust in lists. I have to trust in my calendar. Um, we didn't have a calendar appointment in my calendar mm. for this. I panicked. Yeah, I yeah. I ran inside with my chainsaw and I'm like, I've missed our appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because I know me. I, I, and that's my fault. I yeah. Blind spots. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm also not, I, I work hard to try to get better at it to not have to be the case, but I'm not going to just be like, well, I don't like the fact that I have to trust my calendar, so I'm not going to use it. I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way in my brain. That's crazy. I can't. I need to like, trust the tools that I've got and, and then just try to be ahead of it if I, if I can and, and but, you know, surprise myself. Well, I think the, some, for someone like me, probably not using my calendar as well as I could, I'm hoping that my brain is thinking the right thing. And I'm probably rethinking all of these things in my brain, double-checking with myself, with my brain, just to make sure that I'm going to be doing the thing that I'm meant to be doing at the right time instead of it just being like, oh, calendar, calendar alert boom done yeah yeah so i think that that makes sense the other thing that i was hearing is that it sounds like you're really clear with what is your time and when it's your time you're able to do absolutely anything you want with it like you're not you're not you're not like basically you say to yourself 8 a 6 a.m to 8 a.m i'm not looking at anything no matter how much people are trying to rush me I'm, it's not until 8am that I'm opening my email. So six to eight, I can do whatever I want. Eight o'clock until let's say six o'clock or whenever it is that you finish the day, you know that you're fully on for clients and, and you're at work, yep. but you, you pretty much, you've, you've sort of like set compartments for you to be like, all right, I'm going to go win wonderful with all the things that I'm learning and the 60 different vegetables that I'm growing at the moment outside of all of those hours but I, and I can feel completely self-indulgent with the way that I do it because I know that once I clock off at four o'clock or six o'clock or whenever it is, I, my brain is not thinking about work. I've got my to-do list for tomorrow and I'm off. Yeah. I, I, I sort of, I bookend a free time with just huge amounts of discipline and it's, it's really, it's, I find it like I've been doing the, the no emails before eight and no emails after six thing for probably like over a decade and a half. And anyone who's worked for me 
I'm like, I don't want to see an email go out after 6 p.m. And like, because we're in a we're in a nine to five business, we're not a we're not like a like a twenty four hour thing. And there's an old like obviously there's an old saying that you teach people how to treat you. Mm-hmm. And my my eight o'clock doesn't start if something's on fire at eight o'clock. It's because there was nothing we could have done about it the night before, and mm-hmm. I need to just get into it with the client because something's happened. Comes something happened at seven forty five a.m. and we're just into it. But most mornings, eight o'clock starts off at a good pace because 6 p.m. the night before ended in a good place and expectations were managed. Mm-hmm. And I had any hard conversations I had with clients about timelines. And I, I, I made the best use of my day and I managed expectations and I managed all of that. So I don't like being behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. And I know that that marketing is a last ditch effort and it's a last it's the 11th hour all the time most of the time so that for me if if, if my clients are always going to be we need it right away i make that the norm and i don't build my life around well what if it's going to be different this time mm-hmm. i just go i'm in at eight and it's going to be all in until it's done for the day and i'm not going to hope for anything else otherwise and if my if I have an hour in the afternoon where I'm like, there's literally, I've got an hour between meetings and I have nothing. I don't, I don't owe anyone anything. I will put on my outdoor stuff and I will go do some outdoor stuff. If I like we've, there's always some things to work on and it's amazing to get off the computer and just throw a pitchfork around for a bit here. Cause I've, there's always stuff to, to do. And when I was in the city, I would get out and go for a walk, go get a coffee, just change my perspective for an hour. Um, but not to sit there and read the news because, you know, um, there's other time for that. I think the the interesting thing about, about work is that somehow you've quite often, you tell yourself, you're not allowed to put something down. You're not allowed to have a break. You're not allowed to have a lunch break, or if you have a lunch break, you're rushing it. Whereas really what you're saying is no, like break, break well, break well so that you can, you can actually come back and be on when yeah. you're back and then fully off when you're off. And if you don't like, for me in the, sur- like I'm, I'm in the service industry, obviously as, as you are as well. And, and there isn't, there isn't noon, it's noon. It's time for lunch sometimes. Like sometimes mm. it's, uh, it's 3 PM all of a sudden. And you're like, okay, well now I'm going to, I've got a window where I can, I'm not going to let anyone, anyone down for the next half hour and mm. I'll get a bite. Um, but again, it comes back to the managing expectations and I've worked really hard to be very consistent with my clients. Mm. And when I tell them that I'm going to get back to them in 45 minutes, they know I will. And so they don't, no one bugs me. Like mm. if I, I say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm getting lunch for a little bit. I also think that if you're in the middle of a critical day, maybe don't take an hour for lunch if you don't need it. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a lot of time if you don't need it in the middle of the day. Like I, but I also know, like, I've also worked in big organizations where it's really important to, to trust in the system of take an hour away from your, your office. Like, I've worked for a several hundred person company, mm-hmm. and they want, if, you, if you've got a lunch break, take your lunch break and, mm-hmm. and do something useful with it. Um, and uh, we've been speaking for about an hour now, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But one thing that I'm interested in is you've, you've had employees before, I know you really enjoy learning and teaching. 
how is it that you go about sort of mentoring and developing people and and where are some of the examples that you've been able to do that? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I feel like the, 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 the people that have trusted me to, to advise them on, on the things that they're working on or the way that they think about things. For me, it's, uh, everyone is different and everyone kind of like managing people. Everyone needs to be managed different because everyone is, everyone is unique. And it's one thing to sit there and teach someone, here's how to do a task. Like here's how to Photoshop this thing. It's different to help be an advisor for someone um, at a mentoring level when you, what your goal from my, from my point of view of it is, my goal is to help, help someone with the way that they think about things. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's how to think about things. It's that sort of fourth wall of it. And when you and I talk about stuff, I want to get to a place where you're asking yourself, what would Chris ask me? Mm. What Chris? Um, and it, sometimes it's like, I've got a handful of friends who will just, they'll do it in that version, that form. They're like, in their mind, they're like, what would Chris ask me? Well, he'd ask me, well, you know, what if it rains and what ha- what's the plan then? Or what happens if you have four of them and not two of them? And the, what it comes down to is you, you need to walk away from, if you want to ask better questions and you want to be a good mentor for people, it's about, for me, it's a, from, it's about being objective. It's about listening, truly listening to why, why, what they're up to and where they're at and, and asking questions that, that yield uh, other good questions. I had an opportunity uh, mentoring um, some young professionals in the last year and through a friend's uh, teaching program that he's involved in. Mm-hmm. And one of the students on the chat prior to us having our conversation asked me, when we have our mentoring session, can you please, can you please do it in the Socratic method? Yeah. And I was on a video call for this. And, and so, and I, I got the, I saw the person's note and I, I very honestly on the call, because we had probably 20 or 30 people watching it, I said, I don't know what the Socratic method is, mm. but I can assure you, you know, person, uh, before our call, I will, and, and I will try to follow it. And, you know, fast forward a week later, we get on the call, and it's the calls at about eight o'clock, and I said, you know, so-and-so, I've spent the last few hours researching the Socratic method. And I've written down the five sort of, you know, method all testaments, main kind of pillars of, of it. And I fundamentally understand that the way that I can support you today is to not bully you with my knowledge of how I'd solve it, but to ask questions of what questions would I would ask and then leave it at that and see where you get to. Mm-hmm. And it, what I, what I realized is the way that the reason they were asking me that question is they've been they, they were worried that they weren't going to get an opportunity to solve it themselves for whatever mm. reason in their, their, their past up till now, people have been solving it for them. And they were here because they wanted to solve things. And it was amazing that they were bold enough to ask me, don't solve it for me, Chris, mm. follow this method, please. 
and it was fa- it, it, it like I got mentored there mm. and it was amazing because I was like I'm a better I'm a better uh, better person now better mentor because I I've, I've just truly got to listen to someone and go here's an interesting way of going about this to not to, to truly not influence the situation um, with what would I do? Because it's so easy to do that. Um, and, and I think the, the interesting thing is it's actually very hard to think outside of what would I do? It's the skill that you need to learn. Like it's just because yeah. it's the automatic thing. Oh, well, this problem comes up. This is just what you do. Just, just do this. You know, like it's just, it's the natural way of thinking. But what you're essentially saying is for each person that you speak to, they're going to have a different way of being, different way of thinking, different way that you'll speak to them, different way of them processing things. And you'll have to interact with them slightly differently to make sure that they can follow the process that suits them without trying to force your way of doing things onto them, which is something where you really have to take quite a few steps back and go, all right, Let's make sure I don't just ensure that I, I basically create 10 Chris's who do exactly what I do, but I, I, I essentially show up as, um, as someone who gives all the right inputs so that each person, A, B, C, D, E, and E, uh, e and, e and F, um, really gets it to, able to do it in their own way based upon their own understanding, based upon the questions that you've sort of asked them leading up to that. So it's it's easy to say, oh, you just make sure that you do it the way that, that best suits them. But really, it's just, in my mind, it's a skill that you need to learn where you, you don't just rush things and say, Chris, dude, this is how you do it. Just do it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the easiest way. It's, it's, that's, it's, it might not work. Yeah. Well, no one, no one learns. I don't think anyone truly learns that way. And I also think that there's another part to it, though. There's the, I'm there because I've been through some things, hopefully, as a mentor. And the goal is to be able to, to, to help, you know, the, the, like, the learning curve curves with experiences along the way to the point that you're no longer learning and then you're just sort of experienced while you are learning all the time. But it sort of is this buildup of, of experiences that, that get to a place where you're like, I'm knowledgeable now. And as a, as a, someone, as someone hopefully coaching someone, you're, you're, for me, it's the goal is to be like, let me tell you about five ways this has gone wrong, that I've seen, and maybe we can break those down. And maybe you can tell me if you like now, now hopefully by the end of that experience, you've just had these five life experiences that you didn't have before, and now you're you're working from the sum of six experiences, yep. and hopefully you're a more experienced person, kind of thing. And like that to me is the best way of of supporting someone. Is the is the shining a light on the darker corners, if you know what's in them a bit. And, and and now we're back to the start of where we started with this, with really just asking all the right questions to shine light in all the right areas, the, the areas that maybe hadn't been considered before. Totally. I mean, I, the other thing, Chris, I would say is that like often people will come to me with, they're at a point, they're at a precipice where they're about to get dive into something. Mm-hmm. And it's 
there's a human nature to double down on loss for whatever reason we're in. We're manifested a certain way. If we're dug in a hole, we just keep digging. We don't stop digging. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I get to I get to try to be part of when I'm, I'm talking with someone is is that moment of do you go forward from here or was it or was it just an interesting shimmer of an idea and it's better to park it and go I'm gonna just write this down and maybe at some point I'll get to it mm. and it's like it's everyone everyone s- s- grieves having to stop an idea differently and mm. as someone who's we both we're, we're both people of had lots of ideas and we've had to like realize that not everything can get accomplished and not mm. everything's uh, worth worthy of finishing as a project, but you still grieve the, 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 the non, the non start of that idea. You're like, Oh, it was an interesting one though. Mm. And I think that's one of those things that uh, as I, as I chat with people, I'm like, you know, if you treat it like you're, you're, you're running an experiment, and you're not running that it's just, you know, to use another metaphor, it's like you're throwing spaghetti at the wall. Let's, let's, let's come in at this, assuming that you're going to learn along the way and you're going to be kind to yourself as we break it down. And you know that you're in this state of learning. You're the, the, the you're going to accept this, this mentorship a little bit better because you're no one's holding you to trying to know all the things. Mm. Like be, like be being kind to yourself gives you so much more room to to answer good questions and just while we're on that i know we haven't touched on it yet but thinking about experimenting developing skills uh and then finishing what was it like to record an album of your original work it was it was scary um I I definitely suffer from a bit of an imposter syndrome with music as someone who um, always had a job as well and, and did music to the fullest ability I could, but it wasn't my only. And so I always felt like I'm being seen as a bit of a weekend warrior. And so going into the studio after, like we gigged for six and a half years, those songs as a band, and 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 friends and family knew them and and when we went to record we had done an indiegogo and pre-sold a bunch of albums and there was support for what we were doing but it was on my own dime mm-hmm. and even if there was some pre-sales um so it, you know it it was nerve-wracking because they're expensive to make and I, I had, I had these, these, my, my guy, the guys in my band, just the fact that everyone was committed to being part of it. I was like, like people's time is precious to me. My mm. time is precious to me. So mm. it means people's, everyone else's time is precious to me. And every day for the, for the six or seven, six days we were in the studio, I was very aware of everyone's time. I was very aware that these guys are all here for me and I better come to the table like with my my best foot forward we went into the studio very practiced um we worked really really hard we we rehearsed those 13 songs for the better part of two months uh, to a click track which is a tempo so we knew that we knew that the timing of everything we were very rehearsed we went into the studio and went the experience was wonderful and then and then i got to like hold my record 
with my voice on it mm. that of saying words that I, I wrote of experiences that I had in my life. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'll press a vinyl again. I, 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 it'd be cool. I'd love to, but I, I love that I have one. I love that we got a little bit of radio play from it. And I love that we completed the, the project and like, you know, um, it was quite, it was an experience, it was quite an experience um, getting to finish it and, mm. and, and having it done. Like, you know, it's, it's a, uh, that was a great experience. I think the, the cool thing for me was when I met you, you're a musician. That was the first thing that I knew of when I met you. And in the last 12 months that I was in Toronto, you finished that album and I've got my vinyl and I've got my singlet and I've got my tank top or whatever you call it. Um, and, and you, you did finish that, that album and I'd seen you play live and I, I, I've, I can now go back and listen to that music. Um, so yeah, it was cool for me to be on the outside also watching, knowing that you've got all these different like, creative projects that you do, but that you, you had, had made that album and then I could take it home to Australia and listen to it and be reminded of nights out in the press club watching you play live and uh yeah so it's a it's a cool thing and I, and I guess I wonder with that music like obviously it, it served a purpose for you in terms of being able to express yourself does do you still have an outlet to be able to do that is it is it journaling or what is it that or was it a period where you felt like you that was just it was more helpful or, or what's the what's the outlet now well, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting across from my, my guitar and piano right now. Um, you know, the, the, the outlet is, the outlet is a combination of things. It's, it's uh, when a song, when an idea comes up, I just grab whatever instrument is close and turn on my recorder and record the idea. So it's, it's, it's an audio or audio video journal of that idea in the moment. And I leave myself notes. I'm like, all right, you know, I, you know, I try to explain for future Chris to listen to. And so I've got all these audio clips of, of, of moments. Um, my other, like, you know, one of our goals with this, this, this property we bought is to build a bigger house on it, some on a different part of the property. And I've been, I've been working in 3d most of my career. And so I've, I've really gotten to enjoy uh moving from paper and and or pen, pen, pencil and paper um and drawing houses to building them in 3d and then getting to to drop those in an augmented reality situation and move things around um so like my 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 outlets are are uh are things like that right now i think part of it is you know in the summer, if the bugs are bad, you're kind of sitting inside more if you, unless you have to be outside working. So I, in the early mornings, I may not be necessarily reading, but I would be working on 3D for a couple hours, which is kind of, you know, indulgent and nice. Um, when the winter hits, you know, the mornings are, are a little different in that you can't get outside as much. So, so you, you change, you know, you change those outlets. Like I, I do lino block carving, like it's relief. It's a form, an old form of relief carving and you print, print things. It's very physical and it's, uh, but I don't pull that out until the winter because mm. there's just too much stuff to do in the summer. And I know 
I know that that I I've got it all set up together in one box and it's all marked, and winter will hit and I'll I'll pull it out and I'll have it accessible, and my challenge is Chris is I tr- I want to turn everything into a into a into a project. I want to turn everything into a, into a business. <laughs> like five minutes in the line of block carving, I'm like, all right, so here's how I'm, I make this into a whole thing, and I'm selling all on it. See, and then I just had to calm myself down and be like. Just just sit here and listen to the music and, and do your carving and enjoy scratching the itch that is this outlet and then put it away and, and move on with your day. And um, I found that it, it helps. It helps not necessarily, you know, my, mo- my business motto is everything with purpose. But I'm realizing that sometimes that purpose is just for the sheer enjoyment of it and it doesn't have to have this this massive end goal where i've i've commercialized it or industrialized it um uh so that's been that's been an interesting thing that comes back to the being kind about your to yourself yeah and and then also asking better questions of why are you wanting to do this today and Mm -hmm. i'm like often it's well i have an afternoon to myself and i feel like being creative and i had this idea um like yeah like i i still hand i still carve and print our christmas cards every year and i'll probably i'll do that this year and i'll do a carving and print out christmas cards and and it's uh yeah so it's good to have those outlets so those are my outlets awesome and before we wrap up is there anything else you want to cover off on uh you know what i I've, I've definitely had a chance to listen to a few of the other podcasts that you've been doing. And I've listened to lots of podcasts over the years and it's, it's amazing watching uh, the evolution as you get better at it over time. And when we started this podcast today, you, I remember when you first started getting into them and there you were, you were still pulling all your stuff together for it. Now you're like, all right, here's the questions I'd like to talk about, Chris. And we'll start this off the way I normally started off. And you're just very, you're, 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 it's amazing watching this, this uh, get more polished. And I know that, uh, that I will continue to listen to your, your podcast as you do them. And, and it's, it's w- and wonderful watching you be open to the evolution. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>